this person died in 2019, age 79. Christopher Walken. <laughs> I think he's still with I us. I think he's still alive, right? <laughs> when he was 11, he shot himself in the stomach with a pistol, and decades later, he insisted that it was an accident, not a suicide attempt. What about the guy that played Professor Snape in the Harry Potter movies? Alan uh, uh, Rickman? Yeah, yeah. No, but good guess. He did die. He inspired John Lennon to write the line, I know what it's like to be dead. In the Beatles song, She Said, She Said. This one's tough. Yeah, this one's hard. He had piercing blue eyes, a firm jaw, and an imposing frame, which were inevitably compared to his father's. Johnny Cash? Not Johnny Cash. He earned two Oscar nominations almost three decades apart. Bob Dylan? Not Bob Dylan. He's still with us. In the 1970s and 80s, his career cooled while that of his sister flourished. I can't picture anybody. And he was an award-winning actor or nominated. This is tough. This is tough. In 1967, Roger Corman cast him in a script that included... Jack Nicholson, Bruce Dern, Dennis Hopper, and Susan Strasberg. I was actually going to guess Dennis Hopper, but I'm not a clue. He earned a Best Original Screenplay nomination for Easy Rider. Oh, Peter Fonda. (laughs) Today's dead celebrity is Peter Fonda. We're rich, man. We're retired in Florida now, mister. <clears throat> you know, Billy? We blew it. What? <laughs> what, what, what? That's what it's all about, man. I mean, like, you know. I mean, you go for the big money, man, and then you're free. You dig? <laughs> we blew it. Welcome to Famous and Gravy. My name is Michael Osborne. And my name is Amit Kapoor. And on this show, we go through a series of categories about multiple aspects of a famous person's life. We want to figure out the things in life that we would actually desire and ultimately answer the big question, would I want that life? Today, Peter Fonda died 2019, age 79. Category one, grading the first line of their obituary. Peter Fonda, the tall, lanky actor who became a star and a countercultural sex symbol in the film Easy Rider, carrying on the Hollywood dynasty begun by his father, Henry Fonda, died Friday in Los Angeles. It's more concise than what we've heard lately. Well, okay. So, you know, the question, would they mention Easy Rider? They had to. They had to. Yeah. Right. Had to. So that's in there. How do you feel about the word lanky? Is that uh, is that it's a pejorative? It is a pejorative. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think lanky is a good thing. There's a better way to say it. I guess it's it's not inaccurate. It's a good word to describe Peter Fonda's physique. Yeah. Do you think usually lanky is an unattractive thing? Yes. Really? Yes. 
I just think of it as skinny. I think it sort of has negative connotations, maybe, but I don't think of it as pejorative necessarily. I think it just means having long limbs, not even necessarily skinny. Yeah, well, but I can't think of somebody who's lanky, who's like cut. Or a little chubby. Right. Of course you can. Who? Give me Um, an example. Who's lanky and chubby? I want one example. The guy on Everybody Loves Raymond who played the brother. Yeah, he's got kind of the funny voice. Yeah. Yeah. He's a little like pot belly. Okay, okay, okay. I guess you can be kind of- he's got very long arms. No, that's that's good. I think his name's Brad Garrett, for what it's worth. But I like it. I like that you can be lanky and a sex symbol. The bigger question to me was whether you mentioned his father in the first line of his obituary. That's a very deliberate decision. Yes. You know, dynasty that began with his dad. Yeah, it's strange that there's a weird attribution there. Of kind of saying, like, dynasty, like, why does that have to be there? Well, I think that so much of who he is, how he's remembered, what his legacy means, and how we understand him as a famous person, exists in the shadow of his father, Henry Fonda. That's my interpretation of his life. Yeah. But if that is true, do you think that the author of the first line of his obituary said, we need to mention his dad in this first line? The author of the first line of the obituary likely had some relationship with Henry Fonda. You mean as a fan? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it may have been of that age bracket, or maybe not. Maybe he just, in his head, he hears Fonda, and that's the first one that comes to his mind. It's interesting you say that. A lot of people have no idea who Henry Fonda is. I mean, I think if you ask millennials who Jane Fonda is, they're going to know. Bridget Fonda is kind of a toss-up. Peter is even kind of a toss-up, I think, for some. But Henry... He is a gilded actor of, you know, the golden age of Hollywood. So whether or not to mention his dad in the first line, I think it's probably right. It was the correct choice to figure out a way to mention his father. But it's just kind of weird. It says a lot. Yeah, because I think as we've seen thematically, the first line is tends to encapsulate the entire biography. Well, and as you pointed out, I'm not sure how much more there is to say. Actually, I mean, I think that there's a lot we're going to explore in this conversation about Peter Fonda's life. But if I were to grade this, I'd give it a a nine out of 10. I think it hits all the important points about what we think about and what we're going to remember him for. I think there's a very accurate characterization. I think it's interesting that they pair lanky with sex symbol. They had to get the word counterculture in there because that was important. Yeah. And they had to get Easy Rider in there. Then they mentioned his dad. So you're giving it a nine? I think so. I just think that, like, I'm not sure anything was missed, and the things that needed to be said were said. I'm not overly impressed. Maybe an eight, because there's not any true cleverness in here. I'm not sort of impressed with verbiage, but it's definitely economical. Yeah, I agree with you. On the brevity and the conciseness, I think it got everything. I just find the lanky unnecessary, Mm. especially knowing his relationship with his father, that it wasn't great. I don't know that it's necessary that that's, you know, in the first line of the obituary, but I am with you on it being concise, encompassing to the point. So I'm going to go with six and a half. Okay. But I do have to ask you a question. Yeah. Do you think the writer of the obituary was more Fonda Henry? (laughs) Jesus fucking dumb I held that for 45 (laughs) seconds well done okay Uh, uh, all right category two 
Five Things I Love About You. Here, Amit and I work together to come up with five reasons that we care about this person, want to talk about them, why their fame is worth examining. You want to kick us off? You want me to go first? Um, it, yeah, it sounds like you're excited. I want you to go first. Okay. The family life, the, the, the Hollywood dynasty thing. And it's not just that his father was Henry and his sister was Jane and that his daughter is Bridget. It's also the in-laws. At one point, he called Ted Turner his brother-in-law. And Br- Bridget Fonda went on to marry Danny Elfman of Oingo Boingo fame and all the Tim Burton movies wrote the Simpsons theme song. Yeah. So his son-in-law is, is Danny Elfman. Ex-stepfather-in-law was Noah Dietrich, who I went down a Wikipedia rabbit hole with. He was a uh, confidant of Howard Hughes. So there's just the way the family life sprawls into like well-known figures of a lot of different stripes that all sort of circle Hollywood. This is Hollywood royalty. Yeah. Now, whether or not I love that, is a different question. Yeah, you you love it in the sense that you don't fawn over it, but you love that it like exists as a fact. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I found as I got into Peter Fonda's life, I needed to know more about Bridget and about Jane and Ted Turner and Henry Fonda and all these peripheral characters, Dennis Hopper for that matter, Roger Corman. So it was actually sort of hard to know where to stop. I kept trying to say like, okay, how do I put Peter in the middle of all this? Yeah. Well, uh, do you want to go on number two? Yeah, I'd say the intersection with music in his life, his friendship with the members of the Birds that led him to become friends with the Beatles, Buffalo Springfield, I think, intersected with part of his life, and then obviously the soundtrack for Easy Rider and so forth. But even before Easy Rider, just the fact that there was the intersection of him with the countercultural music world, the Beatles above all. Yeah. I I love that. It makes his characterization as a countercultural figure about more than the character he played in Easy Rider. Yeah, right? there's a believability to it. Exactly. And um, authenticity to it. Yeah, but I like this cohesion behind it about what everything that happened in the 60s in the most important things that happened in, in civil rights and so forth. But it all starts with a kind of counterculture. And yeah, the music was through all parts, the civil rights and all of the political freedoms and so forth. Yeah, the Vietnam protests and, yeah. Correct. I really like, just going back to the origin of number two, that music and Hollywood, in in this case, intersected in that movement. Yeah. Uh, okay. I wrote, probably took acid with the Beatles. That whole, uh, she said, she said, lyric that John Lennon yeah. um, said, Peter Fonda inspired I saw some that said that that happened at a party, some that said that that happened at a party while on acid. Hard to say, but it'd be cool to trip with the Beatles. So I kind of had that one, too. Yeah. What's the jury? Is that a separate number three, or are you saying no, that that's a two? That's, that's a two add on. Two. Yeah, okay. the relationship with music is a two add on. All right, I'll just go with the easy— with the, uh, You're doing number the, three. Yeah, I'm going to take it, because it's an easy one, I think. It's not going to require as much follow-up. Okay. The tinted sunglasses. I think he really made that and owned it all throughout life. This was going to come up for me in a later category. I'm glad you brought it up. If you Google image Peter Fonda, no other filters, the number of images where he's wearing tinted sunglasses, I mean, it's like at least 80 to 90% of them. Yeah. And it's like partially tinted, right? Obviously, sunglasses are inherently tinted, but they're like car tint. Totally. Good call on that. I think he can claim that fashion-wise. If I can take number four, I was going to say aged well. 
He's a handsome older man. You know, at age 78, he's still maybe a little lanky, but he's looking pretty good. The merits of being a sex symbol and lanky. Not everybody can pull it off into their late 70s. This is sort of a weird thing to say, but I kind of like his face. Like, I kind of like the angularity of it, the straight lines of it, the little bit gaunt, but I feel like I could almost draw it. He was right for the camera, right? And he was obviously came from Hollywood royalty, but kind of like his face. Yeah, he resembles. That's not weird to say. It feels a little weird to say it aloud. I think that's very nice to say. Yeah, that's very self-assured to say. All right, that's number four. What do you okay. have? Do you want to offer number five? Yeah, I'll take it. The ability to make fun of himself as this like countercultural motorcycle icon. Yeah. So he was in Cannonball Run. Yes. Which was what nineteen eighty something, early eighties. Uh, eighty one, I believe. Yeah, which was kind of like the exact opposite of Easy Rider. It was like go cross country for a prize. Yeah. He was in Wild Hogs, which was like the Tim <laughs> Allen motorcycle movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um so I like that. I like that humility and the ability to to make fun of himself. What's your relationship with motorcycles? I don't have one. Uh-huh. Uh, I would like to learn how to ride one. Yeah. I do have a mini one, a uh, Vespa. A Vespa. Yeah, it's not even like, but it's not, it's not even. Um, this is an alternative. This doesn't make a great easy No, ride. it gets even better. It's not even a brand name Vespa. It's like the closest thing. I went to the Vespa dealership because I like had decided I wanted a scooter. Uh-huh. And they had Vespas that were X dollars. And they also had things that are almost Vespas, which were X minus $1,500. And I opted for that. But it's it's really nice. Well, so you've been on a motorcycle. Uh, yeah, I suppose so. I've been on one. Yeah, I like it. I mean, I like, I believe in like that feeling of going down the road and wind in your face and the world just, I don't know, it just feels so much bigger when there's not that full roof over your head and windshield in front of your face. Well, hell, what's your relationship with the movie Easy Rider? Uh, So I probably watched Easy Rider the first time when I was about 21 years old. Mm -hmm. I didn't think it was good. But I really liked it for the symbolism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, So yeah, I I was one of those things. I remember one of my friends during my college years, and he was like always like we went out and you know coming back at the end of the night, he's like let's turn on Easy Rider, and that's what we like fall asleep to. Yeah. And you, Easy Rider or motorcycles? Let's start with motorcycles. Uh, They scare the shit out of me. Allison, my wife, once volunteered at an emergency room, and she did it for like several weeks. And what she would hear over and over from all the doctors is, never get on a motorcycle. That's um, probably true. For whatever reason, that freaked me out. But they look like fun. And I do like riding my bicycle, but that's not the same thing. The movie Easy Rider, I think that what you said I connect with. I don't think it's good necessarily, but I like it. I think it's got some really funny parts. The scene where they're smoking a joint around the fire, Dennis Hopper, Peter Fonda, and Jack Nicholson. That I'll rewatch, you know, any day of the week. I saw a satellite, man, and it was going across the sky, and it flashed three times at me and zigzagged and whizzed off, man. (sighs) That was a... UFO beaming back at you. But some of it doesn't hold up to me. Yeah, it's kind of disjointed. There's not really a plot. Yeah, but it captures a time, too. I mean, it's got a vibe to it that's like, that looks like the mind's eye image of the 1960s. Yeah, and the fact that it, I think it came out in 1969, literally the end of the 60s, and the hippies are like shot at the end. Yeah. There's crazy overtones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shall we move on to category three? We shall. Malkovich, Malkovich. Malkovich, Malkovich. This category is named after the movie Being John Malkovich, in which people take a portal into John Malkovich's mind, and they can have a front row seat to his experiences. What's your Malkovich, Malkovich moment for Peter Fonda? 
Mine was getting arrested at the 66 Sunset Strip riots, which were, uh, I don't even want to pretend to be a historian on these, but they were basically the hippies versus police type of riot, square versus hip. But they were violent, right? And those specific riots were referenced like a lot of songs were born out of that specific event. And he was there at the forefront of it. And this is 1966. He had been in movies. He's a legitimate star at this point, but he's still getting arrested for it. That's what I want to be behind. Like the fact that you are a star, you're standing for something, and you're still getting arrested. I mean, this is by no means the Selma Bridge, but it's still a pretty significant moment. It's kinetic. Yeah. I mean, you're right there at the forefront of something happening and you feel like involved and it's important. And in as much as you have power, you are trying to participate in a growing collective sort of aggregation of that power. Yeah. And and, and taking it to the man. That's exciting. But you're still a star. Yeah. Right. And so I think it's being able to look at that experience, knowing who you are inside. Yeah. Versus also what you are doing at the moment, what you are choosing to stand for. And that you're on equal footing for other people that are fighting for a similar cause. Yeah, that's good. I circled around this for a while. I never saw the movie Yuli's Gold, but this was his second Oscar nomination. I tried to watch some of it. Frankly, it's a pretty boring movie. He was cast because apparently Nick Nolte turned down the role. But one of the reasons I think it generated the reaction it did is that it does seem, and this I read a New York Times article all about this, that he was playing a version of his father. The quote I got from the article says, it may be only in Hollywood or according only to Hollywood's system of rendering psychological truths that a man can come to terms with a remote and inexpressive father by playing a remote and inexpressive father in a movie. I think it'd be interesting to play your dad in a movie. Whatever your relationship is with your father, whether it's good or not, or, you know, if you're a woman, your mother... To play a parent, I guess it doesn't matter, but I kind of like that idea. I kind of like the idea that I would have the opportunity to pretend to be my dad and like try and put on display outwardly what I experienced on the other side. Do you think it'd be therapeutic? It sounds like it was for him. And yeah, I mean, I think if the relationship is troubled, yes, I think that's an interesting way to have a kind of creative catharsis. Yes, I do think it would be therapeutic. How is that not an exercise in empathy? Regardless of the story elements, you're sort of like trying to look at the world through their eyes. I think that would be incredibly therapeutic. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. I didn't think about that. That's a good one. That's happened a few times recently. Like in Straight Out of Compton, Ice Cube's son played him. I want to say there's been other instances of something like that. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Category four, how many marriages, also how many kids, and is there anything public about these relationships? And in Peter Fonda's case, it is three marriages. So shall I go through these real quick? Yeah. Okay, so Susan Brewer, 1961 to 1974. So Peter was aged 21 to 34, so he's a young man. And it is with his first wife that he has his two children, Justin and Bridget. Come back to that in a second, because I have more to say about the children. Uh, second marriage, Portia Rebecca Crockett, 1975 to 2011, so ages 35 to 71. One quick note on that. I read that Portia Crockett was actually a, a descendant of Davy Crockett. So just the whole, and I meant to, like, just want to throw that in with my five things I love about you, like the extended family. So that, like, yeah, in the family tree, Davy Crockett goes all the way down to, like, Danny Elfman. Kind of. Not the bloodline, but yes, there is a there is a degree of separation there. And then, I don't know how to say her last name, Margaret De Vogleredi, 2011. You shouldn't to, have just said it. You should have just said Margaret. I'll just go with Margaret D. 2011 to his death in 2019, so ages 71 to 79. So he was basically married his entire life to somebody. Very short periods. Very of being, short of, periods of not of, being married. Of not being married. The one that is weirdest to me is the long marriage in the middle. That ends at 71 years Yeah, that's like a 35-year marriage that ends in divorce. Is there Was there any public information about what we know about it? Not what I found. Um, I, I didn't find a whole lot of information about why the marriage ended in divorce. I don't know what all there is to say about it. But the question you're raising is, what does it mean to be married for 36 years and, and that marriage end at 71 years of age? Yeah. That's, yeah, that, I don't know. And, you stat, know, through right? the evolution of, of recording the show, the questions I raise in my head just, they change every time. Like, is... Well, so what's your reaction that, to that? Just, like, basic fact information. Age 35 to 71, he was married before and he was married after. Like, not knowing any of the, the facts about what led to the end of the marriage, it, on the surface, it bothers me. You're right. Every time we get to this category, I see a discomfort dawn upon your face. If there's a long-term marriage that lasts 60 years, you sort of wonder, well, did they hate each other and just gut it out? If there are a series of divorces at certain ages, we're sort of like, well, we don't know enough. Of course, we never know enough. I think it is still worth having as a category because it's a stat that I think we might care about in life. There should be no judgment that there is a divorce, or even if there's a lot of divorces. It's just sort of a stat that tells you a little bit about the quality of the initial decision, I think. 
Well, it's well, you got to go back to the point of our show. Right. What the point of our show is that that the listener may see themselves in some part of somebody's life, and that ultimately it can help them define their own life and make their own decisions and guide their own path in some large or very very tiny way. Yeah. What you said that you see in me is like you know every time that there's a long marriage that ends not in divorce but ends because death has done them part uh it seems to be something that i i say yay good for them yeah and that when there's something complicated especially after it if it ends after many decades my face gets longer that's my reaction too without knowing anymore that's my reaction too yeah but you said i mean you said if i make a vow to somebody and i hope it happens for the rest of my life so you have done that yeah. Let's be clear. So far, so good. How many years? How many years? Oh, God. We got married in 2006. So over 15 now. Okay. So I, I'm not married, as our wide fan base knows. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm 43. One right? of the reasons we have this show is to fix that. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm 43. So, I mean, granted, it's not just a bu- series of, of, uh, well, of accidents that I've gotten to this point. There is some level of fear and distance an avoidance that I have. And so I, I interpret it. I choose to interpret it differently. Knowing you reasonably well, I think that is one interpretation. I'm another interpretation is that you haven't found the right one and you know, you haven't found the right one, but the right one, you also have to be willing to look for And part of me, there is a built up fear of being trapped. Yeah. And when I see something like Peter Fonda, who was married for and in a 36 year marriage that ended and he got remarried at 71. It really like tightens my chest to think at some point one or both of them felt trapped. If what we are driving at is desirability based on no other information here, I don't desire that. You don't desire three marriages. I don't desire. That's right. And I don't desire a, I walked away from a marriage in my mid thirties and lasted 35 years and ended in divorce. Well, that's not fair to say walked away from. Right. uh, One marriage ended. Another marriage began less than a year later or about a year later. Yeah. And that lasted 35 years and then ended in divorce that uh, on its surface. No, I don't desire that. But why does this keep happening? I realize this is the endless question of American culture and and love and romance and marriage here. But, you know, every year, tens of millions of people or whatever make a vow that says, till death do you part. And every year, a higher number than that end that vow. Yeah. Is everybody just sort of lying to themselves a little bit at the beginning? And they're saying, you know, there's a small chance that this might not work. I, I don't know that I have a great answer for that, but I'll I'll give you one answer to it, which is I think that the one of the problems we have with marriage as an institution is that we come to it with too many expectations about all the hats the other person is supposed to wear. Your spouse is meant to be your sex partner, your business partner, your roommate, your uh, co-parent, your best friend. The list goes on and on, and people are not able to sort that shit out before they say, I do. They just... They can't fathom that. Right. And you don't realize which of those roles is going to be more important as you age and as you get more and more entangled and involved with each other as things go. And that sometimes it comes a point where it's like, I need to take off one of the hats that I'm asking you to wear, and I need to go find that somewhere else. And that doesn't have to be an existential crisis. But that shit is hard to sort out. 
So, yeah. I, you know, look, we're a social animal. We certainly want to have, if nothing else, sex regularly. I know that's one of the reasons I got married, among many others, or among everything else I listed. So that, that need for security and stability, I, you know, I don't think we quite realize the level of need we bring to a relationship and the expectation we put on a single individual when we say, I do. Yeah. So it's not that we are deluded. And it's just that you learn over time these hats that you wear and the that those can become unfitting over time. Right. And the institution of marriage has evolved into a much more complicated thing as the decades have gone on. I don't think that this was true 100 years ago. I'm not saying it was better, but I do think that we now come out like, you know, you are meant to be my love story when you say I do to somebody. This is this. You are my happily ever after. You don't even recognize the ways you're looking for validation and the way you're trying to get needs met in a relationship because you don't know yourself enough. Yeah. So that's my theory of the case of why there's so many divorces. If that's what you're asking, that's, you know. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm asking about the cycle. Like why, why does the cycle just repeat itself over and over and over and over again? Yeah. That's a good question. I don't know. And I don't think Peter did either. Well, clearly he didn't. Yeah. And this is the question. I, I still don't know you know, our show, we get to the Vanderbeek in the end saying, do you want this life? Each one of these pieces is just an ingredient to that. By no means can we say, I do or don't want your life because of your love history. But what we are saying is that three marriages over a lifetime and one that ends in your 70s, to both of us, seems somewhat disheartening. Yeah. Should we move on? <laughs> well, we're still on the marriage and family category because I think you had more things to say about it. Only that I did, I got curious as to what his daughter Bridget had to say about him. Bridget, okay. uh, by the way, I did not quite realize that she had more or less retired from acting. She did some good movies. Jackie Brown is the one that sticks in my mind, but she was also in singles. Single white female. Single white female and in singles, for which, for whatever reason, that movie sticks in my mind. I remember That it was very, very well. important for our age group. It kind of was. The soundtrack was a big deal. And, and yeah, I mean, she appeared in a handful of other things. She retired around the same time she married Danny Elfman. In this profile, I read about Peter Fonda. He divorced her mom, the descendant of Davy Crockett, around the time Bridget was eight. And that apparently left some scars. They reconnected later in life, and Bridget told reporters that she was constantly surprised uh, at how much she's like her dad. And one thing she said is that uh, you don't have to pry anything out of my dad. There was a lot of pain there, and you can't expect it to just be gone. He wants to be seen for who he is and is always trying to explain himself. I think if he could be telepathic, he would be. I found that to be an interesting thing for a child to say about her dad. Yeah. It doesn't sound like he was an asshole. It sounds like he was trying, but it does sound like this is a wounded man. And I think it had a lot to do with his father. I think his father was an emotionally disconnected and perhaps rageaholic. I don't know. Would lose his temper. Also of a different time. I also did try and get as much into the relationship with Jane, his sister, as I could. And it seems like a nice relationship, as, yeah. As far as I can tell, I, I I I don't see them saying bad things about each other. There's one story about Peter arriving at an airport, and there's a sign that says "Feed Jane 
Fonda to the whales, and he rips it up and goes to jail for it uh, because he's defending his sister. What does that mean, feed Jane Fonda uh, to the whales? I think it was because she, at the time, was protesting nuclear power, and this was some pro-nuclear power operation that had because Jane Fonda, obviously, is very, very politically active. Yeah. I mean, really, since the 60s. And, yeah, that he defended his sister's honor. And, like, and she that she was also quoted as, like, there on his deathbed. Yeah. So, you know, there's not a ton of pictures of them together, but it seems like in, in as much as they have a shared respect, there's friendship there. And that plays into this question about family life. Yeah. Category five? Yes. Net worth. I got 40 million. I got 40 million. Seems perfect. Yeah, for that age, seems about right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I came from a well to do family, acted his whole life. And, you know, if it had been a little bit lower, I would have been a little uncomfortable yeah. with it. I don't know. But he also wasn't like, he wasn't a blockbuster actor. Right. Right. What he's best known for a, is Easy Rider, which was a 1969 movie, but it also wasn't like. It was ahead of his career in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. But it wasn't being screened in theaters in like Eastern Europe. Yeah. Right? No. It's and not, I, you know, it is worth also noting that I, I think that there's some. Uh, there's definitely some disputes, between, like a rift grew between him and Dennis Hopper. I don't think it ever got into court, but or there were some court cases around this. I take that back. Whether or not who is still profiting from it, I think, was a question, but who gets credited for what is an ongoing dispute. Those two hated each other as time went on, apparently. Really? Yeah, there's actually, when Yuli's Gold gets nominated in 1997, the actor who wins for Best Actor is Jack Nicholson. Also in Easy Rider. And what was he in in 1997? As good as it gets. And I read a story about Dennis Hopper. Somebody was sitting with him, watching him watch the Oscars, where he's sitting there like, woohoo, for Jack Nicholson, because he and Jack stayed buddies. But Dennis Hopper sounds like a prick. All right. Anyway, category six, Simpsons, SNL, or Hollywood Walk of Fame. This category is a measure of how famous a person is. And we include both guest appearances on SNL or The Simpsons as well as impersonations. So let's get Hollywood Walk of Fame out of the way. Yes, he got it in 2002. Uh, I can go on the one Simpsons one. I, I didn't write down the exact sketch. He was referenced. He wasn't on it. Right. As one of Mr. Burns's like henchmen has the ability to reprogram people. Yes. And he makes the comment that he was able to reprogram Jane Fonda, but not Peter. Yes. Is that the, is that the reference that's you the found? That's the one I saw. Yes. Okay. That's all I found for Peter Fonda. That's all I found too, but that's a reference. It's and pretty it's, good. It's it's pretty good and it's pretty like it's pretty deep. I mean, it's it's a compliment. Yeah, carried in a joke. Um, the character I think is called Conform Co Worker, and he also mentions in the same skit that he successfully got Paul McCartney out of Wings, much to Homer's anger. Out of Wings, the TV show? No, Paul McCartney was in a band called Wings after the Beatles. And Homer gets all pissed off about it. Oh, yeah, how funny. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were like referring to the show where they was like the two guys in the Nantucket airport. Yeah, no. <laughs> I really had a moment there that like Paul McCartney was supposed Paul McCartney to... is in a very different wings. Yes. <laughs> Finally, SNL. I did see that he was parodied in a very early Saturday Night Live with Jane Curtin. Yeah. In a sketch called Josh Ramsey VD Detective. Yep. Which I don't know anything about that sketch, but I want to know more. I don't think you need to know anything. I think you can tell. <laughs> VD detective? Yeah. That's pretty funny. Okay. Plenty so he, famous. He hit the trifecta of of what we are defining as this era's pop culture recognition. I, okay. I don't know where else to talk about this, but I do feel like I want to talk about his fame. Because 
unlike a lot of people on our show, he was sort of born into fame. You're right that we may not have known his name had he not chosen to go into movies. He could have been just a famous actor's kid. Still, fame does not look fun to me most of the time. Being recognized on the street, the loss of privacy, it would suck to be born the son of a famous actor, wouldn't it? Like, that, isn't that on its face? Isn't it self-evident? Like, that's kind of a shitty lot in life? Yeah, because you either follow or you try really hard not to follow. Right. And sometimes you do Regardless both. of the person, regardless of how admirable he is as an individual. And Henry Fonda sounds like a distant, emotionally unavailable hard ass. I mean, there's this story about, and we haven't mentioned this yet, but their mother killed herself. Yeah. And the dad, Henry didn't tell them that, and Peter discovered it years later as an adolescent. Didn't tell them how she died. Didn't tell them how she died. Yes. Tried to cover up the fact that she committed suicide. Yes. That, like, that's fucked up, right? That's fucked up. Is it? I mean, you have you will soon uh, have I, a 10-year-old. I kind of get it. I kind of get it. Uh, no. Uh, uh, like, uh, what do you tell a 10-year-old? That they were sick. That, you know... was in a lot of pain and they hurt themselves. Yeah. I mean, the situation is inherently very fucked up and very, very hard. Right. But in, and it can, it can fuck up the child no matter what, no matter how it's treated, no matter what's divulged and when. I think royalty, whether it's actual royalty or Hollywood royalty or any, or political royalty, like being born a Kennedy, like all of that looks like it sucks. Yeah. You just don't get a choice. Like you're you're starting with one arm tied by your back. Either you meet expectations or you figure out how to present for the world the way you're supposed to. And, and you know, one thing in Peter Fonda's credit, that he was part of this iconic film about the youth movement and that he is the child of that that stands in such contrast to the previous generation. Like good for him. You know, he talks about I never hungered for, for fame. Like that they didn't have that lot in life. No matter who I was, I was always going to be Henry Fonda's son. He's absolutely famous. He chose to be famous in a kind of different way. He hit the trifecta, as you said. But I, but my heart actually goes out to him. And I think I like, in as much as this is a conversation about desirability, I don't think I'd want any of this fame. Don't want to be born into a famous life. I think that's right. I mean, there's right ways to do it, right? Like you, we know so little about his own son. It's, I think it's when you do it and you either are fully expected to follow on the same path or you follow on a similar path by choice. Yeah, I think it's also particularly difficult if it's in the realm of acting where what your job is as an actor or an actress is to play other people and portray characters that people connect or don't connect with. And I think Henry Fonda is emotionally removed and distant from the family. I mean, that's on Henry Fonda's Wikipedia page. So I think it's probably pretty goddamn true. Yet he's playing characters in 12 Angry Men and Grapes of Wrath and so forth that that America and, and the viewing public loves and connects with. You know, we never really know who these people are. And if it's your parent and they do that for a living do you you know don't you always kind of feel like you never really get to know who they are even more yeah we're also talking about children when they're adults here like when you are a child child you know you want to be daddy yeah that's a hard thing i mean that must be a hard thing when you when you are an adult and you have an opportunity to be him that how difficult that can be in this situation so i i think we're agreed it's a burden 
I don't know. I don't. I, I, I'm not comfortable saying that as a blanket statement. I'm just saying it's complicated. I think it was a burden for Peter Fonda, and that's pretty clear. Could be. Okay. Could be. I'm going to give you more likely than not. All right. Category seven. Over under. In this category, we look at the life expectancy for the year that they were born to see if they beat the house odds. Henry Fonda, born 1940, the life expectancy for a man in 1940, 60.8 years. He died age 79. So he beat it. He didn't like he not, didn't not as much it. as some of our previous guests. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't Ross Perot this son of a bitch. <laughs> but he did. He did. He get did pretty 18 well. To Nineteen years. It's, it's got to be interesting though if you're born in 1940. If you are even paying attention to what your life expectancy is, it's going to be like you will die in the year 2000. Yeah, you're going to be like, whoa, wow. I'm yeah, gonna make it. I'm going to make it to 2000. <laughs> yeah, as long as they don't get in by That's bus. Be, but Peter lived to 79. 79. That's pretty good. I think it's a great number. I don't know if I want to go. I think I said this to you before. I don't know if I want to go that far into my 80s. But I know, but it's tough right now, I think, where you and I are because of the ages of our parents. Sure. And I don't like hearing a number like 79 because it's like, you know, my parents are in their 70s now. My parents are coming up to 79. Yeah. And so it troubles me to think that, like, I want to celebrate living to 79 for somebody born in the 40s. No, but I do think that's a good run without necessarily. I mean, you know, one of the things I love about Peter Fonda is that he aged well. And it it did seem like he was pretty vital. Like, you look at clips of him in 2018, a year before he died, and he's looking pretty damn good. And that's mostly what Over Under is about. It's not just how long do you make it, but how long do you make it and it still looks pretty good. Gracefully. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And you got, you know, like, can you walk? You know, can you, are all the marbles there? That's what I'm hoping for here. And it looked like he did pretty well on that score. Yeah. And I, I think you're going to change your tune on this, like, don't want to live deep into my 80s thing. I just need to see it done in a way that looks really appealing, because I see the bodies breaking down, and I wonder how I would spend my time. Yeah. I just think the breakthroughs that could possibly happen in the next 40 years. Fucking um, techno-optimists. No, I'm not even saying techno. What if it's just a plant? And I don't mean that in like some psychedelic way, but you know, what if just, you just don't know. You just don't know that however far we get in space travel or whatever, that there is the elixir of- um, Eternal youth? No, not eternal youth, but of just graceful aging. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It feels like it's still a misplaced value to me in society. It seems like there's a time to die. Yeah, but I, the other side of that is that just like you're also worried about running out of things to do. That's there's true. There's going to be new things to do. I am scared do. of boredom. I'll give you that. I'm yeah, very but scared like of who knows where this space thing goes? Yeah. Who knows where all these versions of reality, there may actually be like one of them that, that sits with you. Yeah. It just could be very different. It's possible. I'm going to move on. Even with Back to the Future 2, <laughs> like that didn't get you excited? I haven't seen the hoverboards yet, and I think we already hit But the, the whole point of that was roads weren't, like, that relevant. Yeah. And granted, we leaped it a while ago, and it didn't happen, but that it was somebody's vision. I'll say this. I'm fighting to have an optimistic view of the future, and maybe that's what this is about when I say I'm wondering how long I really want to go. I just think that I, I want to make peace with the idea of being mortal. That's part of what this is about. That's yeah, part of the I, reason. That's part of the reason somewhere between 79 and 91 feels about right. Yeah, and that's where I just that's I think that's where you and I differ. I don't know. It could be that does feel about right if the world continues at the exact same pace yeah. of right now. Well, but, this is the problem with the future. Is we always take what's going on and project linearly and that's probably inaccurate. Yeah. Shall we get on? Yes. 
Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. We are literally going to go from Category 7 to Category 8. Man in the Mirror. What did Peter Fonda think of his own reflection? Did he like the way he looked? I mean, you obviously did. Well, I um, liked the way he looked, but I'm not sure he did. Really? I wonder if, because I do think the central truth of his life had to do with a very complicated relationship with his father in whose shadow he always stood. And he kind of looked like his dad. Yeah. And I wonder if he saw that and wrestled with that. I wonder if he wouldn't have wanted a face that was decidedly not a Fonda face. Yeah, even though, like, the first line of his obituary used the word sex symbol. So exactly. Clearly he was— But also used referenced his father. Yeah. I didn't think about that angle, because I was going to go a resounding yes. Yeah. Just by the mere fact that the overarching theme of this category is physical appearance, and do you like it? Yeah. Do you carry yourself in such a way that you Not like are you handsome, appearance? do you like it? Yeah. That's the question. So I have questions. You have a question? If you had to put a yes or a no? I'm going to say no. I think that this is a, a person who did not get what he needed as a young age, as a young boy. I think that he had a mother who killed himself and a distant father and decided to partake in a profession where he's playing other people because he's not sure of exactly who he is. And, and you I, hypothesize that manifested in his perception of his own physical appearance. That's right. Okay. Interesting. I don't, I'm, I'm just, I'm going more vanity and I'm going, he was handsome. He was known for being handsome. He was well-liked for being handsome. When it's that clear that you're handsome, I think you like it. Probably. Um, and so I'm giving a yes on this one. All right. Let me ask one more question on this, though. You do believe that it's possible to be good looking and to not like your reflection, though, don't you? Or do you? Uh, yes, I absolutely believe that. Okay. And that's that's what I'm theorizing Yeah. here. Outgoing message. Did he like his voice is the next category. So to go back to what your argument against Man in the Mirror was, I don't know what his father's voice was, but his voice was nice. It was great. Yeah. It fit his image. And especially if I just think of the lines, an easy rider is just breathy and cool. You know, it's like. It's very cool. Yeah. So I would have to think yes. I uh, could not agree more. So, Michael, we each do our own set of research as we prepare for these shows. Mm -hmm. I notice you always reference a biography and you have like a paperback biography with you as we come to studio. Yeah. So I am to assume that you're getting these from some online Megamart. Is that correct? No, not at all. The first thing I do when you and I decide on our next dead celebrity is I go and find out, is there a biography on this person? And is that biography available at half price books? There's a store right up the street from me. 
an actual brick and mortar store where I can walk in. And I go there to find out, do they have a biography for our next dead celebrity? But I always wind up picking up more books. I go through the children's section. I'm a sucker for a good page turner, so I go through the murder mystery section. They also have rare collections. They have signed stuff. I don't know how this sounds to you, but I actually, I love the smell of half price books. It's got that old book smell. I do. I like that too. Isn't that a great smell? Yeah. And you know what? Half Price Books is currently celebrating 50 years of buying and selling books, movies, and music. There are more than 120 stores, and you can find out more about Half Price Books at hpb.com. Next category, regrets, public or private? What we really want to know is what, if anything, kept him awake at night. I was not all that creative here. I said the relationship with his dad. Yeah, I well, I took that to a different degree, and I said pursuing acting, Yeah, which was carrying on that dynasty that may have been conflicting. He was able to do it in such a way that he represented something very different from the Hollywood that his father was a part of. Indeed. Yeah, um, I mean, he represents the break between, you know, the golden age of Hollywood and new Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. but I wonder if just that's, if ever that was a question, just like, I mean, it's a question for a lot of people in a choice of career, because you have to choose... A pathway, you know, that pathway branches out in into many things, especially nowadays. But yeah, just given all we've said, I just have to wonder if acting in general. I'm going to resurrect this one. The other public regret I've got is the tweet he had in 2019 where he- 2018. Tweeted, I'm sorry. 2019 is the year he died. That's right. The tweet he had in June 2018 where he said, we should rip Baron Trump from the arms of First Lady Melania Trump and put him in a cage with pedophiles. I don't know why he had to add that with pedophiles piece at the yeah. end. Well, like, I think just to make it. No, I know, but it, it was well, I wonder if he would have. So anger. he apologized for this. The Secret Service investigated him for this, and he said, "I went too far." If he had left off that last phrase with pedophiles and no. just had put Baron Pr- Trump in a cage, you think it would have been more forgivable? No, you can't do it. You can't touch the children. Not just the presidents and politicians. He himself. But this is the point he was making. We are touching the children at the border. Correct, but it doesn't matter. That's yeah. like, I think... It, it's not a tit-for-tat kind of... Yeah, this is a show, I mean, our show is is uh, covers the topic of fame, but when children are children, you cannot talk about them at that time. Yeah. Later, you can talk about them. You can talk about a 13-year-old Baron Trump when he is 40, maybe, but you can't talk about it while he is 13. Well, and he did apologize. Yeah, but you've also, I mean, look at the parallel, right? Some uh, a kid that had a lot of problems at age 10, 11, son of somebody very famous. Yeah. And here he is at 78 years old, making a very attack, not on Baron Trump at all, but on what's happening politically and the actions being taken at the border. But he chose to use that as what is the worst thing that could possibly happen is that we expose this child to trauma. Like, that's the punishment you deserve for the types of things that you're allowing. It's a really good call, Amit. The circularity of that. I had not put that together. I don't know that it crossed his mind. I don't think it did, but I don't think most things cross people's minds. I think the point of this category even is that sometimes we react emotionally and we're not putting thoughts into our actions. And when he says, 
a child should be ripped from his father's arms and put into a cage. Mother's arms, but still. A mother's arms. Yeah, a parent's arms and put yeah. into a cage. And like, he, he who it, lost his mother at age 10. You're right. It, it, it is a wrong thing for anyone to say, but it's sort of in the context of this conversation and the story of Peter Fonda's life, kind of interesting. And I hadn't put that together. And nor did I until we approached this point, but it's a really wrong thing to say. All right. I got two more. Good dreams or bad dreams? This is uh, a question, but the, do they have a haunted look in the eye? What'd you come up with? I went with bad dreams. I, I see something. You know, I don't see wide-eyed. You've definitely got the cases of losing your mother to suicide at age 10, which granted, you, he didn't know that until age 15. But either way, he lost his mother at age 10. Yeah. He nearly died at age 11 from a self-inflicted accidental gunshot wound. Those alone, yeah, my God, could haunt you for life. Yeah. I agree. I went bad. I told you earlier, I went to Google Images. I think somebody who set the stage to always be wearing tinted glasses or sunglasses, like he is always wearing those, is hiding something. (laughs) We're not getting a clear look at his eyes. Yeah, I think this is a pretty clear bad dreams. There's something there. You and I both independently came to that. Second to last category, cocktail, coffee, or cannabis. I'll just offer mine. While I am making things complicated in other categories, I just want to smoke a joint with Peter Fonda. You do? Yeah. You just want to do... I just want to get high with Captain America. Yeah. And like sit around that campfire and just be high. Yeah. I don't need nothing nothing more. You just want to shoot hoops with Michael Jordan and you just want to do what you're supposed to do with him. Here especially, because for me, this category is often about what lingering curiosity do I have? It's the reason this is the second to last question for me before the Vanderbeek. Is that what do I not know about this person that I think I might be able to unlock with some drug? And I don't know what lingering questions I have about Peter Fonda. There's maybe more that I don't understand, but I feel like I understand enough and I just want to get high now. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I don't I don't fault you for it. I, I went simple. I, w- I went coffee, but not exactly coffee, like just <laughs> like an iced coffee or an iced lemonade and just like... Walking and talking. Yeah. And I think some of that goes into the voice that we talked about, this like cool, calming voice. Yeah. And I just think he'd have interesting things to say about just his view on life. Like I did something very similar last week, a guy that I'd met, just a new guy. And all we did was walk on the trail and just taught for an hour while we were literally sipping like iced tea. I think that's kind of what I want on to Fonda. Well, we've arrived. We're at the Vanderbeek. Named after James Vanderbeek, who famously said in Varsity Blues, I don't want your life. So based on everything we've talked about, the big question is, Ahmed, do you want this life? I can lead us off if you want. Yes, please. As we've gone on, this has become more and more of a resounding no for me. And I am wondering what I'm missing. Like, I'm wondering what the case for the yes is here. I do like how he dealt with his fame. I do like how he dealt with aging. The marriage thing certainly troubles me. The wealth is fine, but the haunted look in the eye, more than anything else, and just the lot he was dealt in life. I I get it. It's a lot of privilege. It looks, you know, he's a sex symbol and he's born into Hollywood royalty. Without thinking too much about that, you know, a younger adolescent version of Michael might have said, yeah, of course I want that, you know? (sighs) I don't see anything I really am like itching for here. And I see a lot that I'm 
wary of, afraid of, repelled by. And it's not because I don't like Peter Fonda, from what I can tell. I like this guy. My heart goes out to this guy in some ways. He seems sensitive. He seems like he's trying, but he also seems hurt in a way that that I never saw any grand resolution of, and maybe I could keep looking, but yeah, I don't think I want this one. And I'm even wondering what the case for a yes might be. So talk it out with me for a second. Uh, let me just, let's start with where I land, and I have to talk myself through it. So the beginnings are hard. The famous father who is distant, the losing your mother at age 10, that's not even the beginnings, that's a lifelong thing you have to endure. And the nearly dying at age 11, it's really, really hard to have those and not jump to a no. I look at the path that he carved, you know, of being this sort of countercultural, cross-countercultural, like what I said about the music and the Hollywood, of being an actor that his father wasn't, of still kind of honoring your father, but carving your own path within that hand that was dealt. Mm. And you were, he was important to a lot of people, not just because he was a good-looking man, but he was a symbol of, it sounds cheesy, but a symbol of freedom without being a a super freaky Charles Manson type of hippie. It was just like, you know, we're out to discover America. That's what Easy Rider was kind of about, but that's really what Peter Fonda played for uh, a long time. Yeah. is kind of that, like, we're out to discover. No, you symbol know? of freedom is a good phrase, and I don't think there's anything at all cheesy about it. I think that's what that time period is about. I think that that's what that movie was all about, and I think it, it exists because of him and who he was and how he portrayed it. Yeah, and I think that's important. Like, I think that's a really important thing to have in a real-life human being. It's a major accomplishment. Yeah, and the love life, again, we talked about that for so long. I, I can't wrap my head around it, but I can say that he had no periods in which he was wanting for anything. He Even if he had three marriages, he went from one to the other. Yeah. So I'd like to believe that he felt loved throughout. And the latter part of his career was funny at times. Like, you know, he did some of these B-grade movies. He made fun of himself. He did an important documentary with, I don't know if it was a documentary or movie, but something with Tim Robbins about the BP oil spill. Yeah, well, um, and, and I mean, and was in some other good movies. 310 to Yuma's cool. The Limey's great. He's in Escape from L.A. Escape from New York's the better movie, but he gave it a shot. Like, but, he, but he also did some causes without just yelling. He invested himself in some causes. Yeah. And then I go back to what what you said about what his sister said like around his i don't know if it was in the eulogy or just something she said it's just like my sweet baby brother is gone yeah so i don't know there's some really hard parts but there's some importance there and i think it's a good play of a difficult hand i think there was love there i think there was admiration from those closest to him as well as from a long fan Network. So I'm going with a yes, not a very strong resounding yes, but I'm going with a yes. Wow. You're not just being a contrarian. I don't know. I don't know if I am. Okay. I don't. That's someone's going to analyze the data one day and be like, they never agree. They just choose what the other one did. You're saying yes, and I admire you for it. I just don't know how you can talk out all those things and still arrive at yes. If I were to just say that you were a symbol of freedom and discovery, and you meant that to not just tens or thousands or hundreds of thousands of people, and 
you are loved by those closest to you. You do not have detractors from your siblings, children, maybe you do from Dennis Hopper. That's the beauty of of the Vanderbeek. You have to weigh all those things in your brain and your subconscious, and you cannot assign any math or any weight or say this is the one thing that pushes it over the edge or keeps it in, but you are just doing some subconscious math and saying, I know all these things, what I wanted or not. And what I think you're leaning to a pretty resounding no, and I'm leading to a slight reasonably assured yes. A squirmy yes. Yeah. Um, so, Well, let me say one more thing before I leave it, because I will say, yes, I started off as a resounding no. I lost some of that resolve in hearing you talk about freedom as a value, because I do know that I care a lot about that. I mean, one of the reasons I think we love the music of the 60s and we love a movie like Easy Rider, you know, it's a road trip movie, basically, and go out and discover something. Like, I, I want to be on that life quest. I want freedom in my life. I want to have adventure. And if you are known and are associated with that, like, that's pretty cool. So it definitely makes my resounding no a little squirmier. Yeah. Very few people deserve to suffer. Well, And nobody wants to suffer. And I think what you're saying is you're just, you're feeling the suffering more. All right. I think we're at the a end. house divided once again. A house divided. Once Where the again. house doesn't divide, though, is is in our next category. Because yeah. in our next category, I'm not taking away your role of introducing the category because you will still do that. But what we do here is we say no matter what we said to the Vanderbeek, no matter what we said on everything leading up to this point, we want to make this case that this individual deserves a good afterlife. Yeah, and that's what this last. I don't. Do we even call this last one a category? No, it's just the end of our show. It's the end of our show, but it's like the the origin story of it is we start with the things we love about this person, yeah, and we end with making a case for why they have a good afterlife. And what we are saying is that everybody deserves both of those things. They deserve to be loved for certain reasons, and they deserve for somebody to make that case for them. And this category is the pitch of the pearly gates. So, um. Pretend you're Peter Fonda. You've died. You've gone to the pearly gates. So I'm doing it? Yeah. Okay. So I'm I'm Peter Fonda talking to St. Peter. Oh, look at that. (laughs) I mean, right there. Maybe we just laugh. It's like, your name's Peter. My name's Peter. We're connecting already. So 1940 to 2019. Two very different Americas. And that changed a lot in this period that we colloquially call the 60s, even though it was before that and after that. But it's really when the tide turned and we had a lot more belief in granting individualism, freedom, discovery, finding yourself, trying to treat everyone as equals. And I had a pretty big part in that. I was in movies, and my most famous one, I went around the country with an American flag on my jacket. I was a symbol of what is possible. And I think that's what I stood for in that decade that I I came up and, and the country turned. And I carried that forward. I fought for things. I fought for liberties. 
until my my last year on this earth, I was still very concerned about the harms placed on immigrants. I believed in freedom and equality, and I made it a pivotal part of my life, and I did it while giving love. I had a sister who the world may know better than me. I have two children. I left with a loving wife. I'm just going to leave with this, St. Peter, and it's freedom, equality, and love. Let me in. Thank you for listening to this episode of Famous and Gravy. If you're enjoying our show, please go to Apple Podcasts to rate and review. You can sign up for our mailing list at famousandgravy.com, and you can follow us on Twitter at Famous and Gravy. Our show was co-created by Amit Kapoor and me, Michael Osborne. Mixing, mastering, and sound design for this episode was by Jacob Weiss. Graphic design by Brandon Burke and original music by Kevin Strang. Thank you again for listening and hope to see you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.